everyone, and welcome to another edition of California Employment News, brought to you by Weintraub Tobin's Labor and Employment Practice Group. I'm Lucas Clary. I'm here today alongside my colleague, Ryan Abernethy. Today, we are going to talk to you about meal and rest break compliance for your non-exempt employees. Making sure you are providing these breaks correctly is critical for employers hoping to avoid employment lawsuits or finding themselves in the crosshairs of enforcement agencies such as the California Labor Commissioner. So Ryan, let's start with meal breaks. What are some of the most fundamental aspects of meal breaks that employers should consider when it comes to them? Sure, Lucas. As most California employers know by now, under California wage and hour law, all non-exempt employees are entitled to a 30-minute meal break if they work more than five hours in a day. The meal break must be provided within the first five hours of the workday. And when an employee works more than 10 hours during a workday, they're entitled to a second 30-minute meal break. And while employers are not technically required to police these meal breaks, um, be sure that if a lawsuit's ever filed, the employer will have to prove that the employee was actually provided with the opportunity to take a compliant meal break, whether or not the employee chose to do so. So in practice, you can imagine how difficult this becomes for an employer to prove after the fact, right? For every single, every single employee on the payroll, for every single day. Um, so uh, in addition to this, the employers must also ensure that the start and stop times of every single meal break is recorded and that also that these times aren't rounded in any way. Um, and these records must be kept and maintained by the employer for at least three years. Um, if a break, any one of these meal breaks is missed, if it's late, if it's shortened, if it's interrupted in any way due to the employee's workload, um, or if the meal break is not recorded, it would be considered a violation under the labor code. And employees who are provided compliant breaks are entitled to an extra hour of pay under the labor code. And this extra hour of pay is called a premium payment. And while a few of these violations wouldn't present much of a liability for an employer, if there's a pattern or practice of non-compliance across the workforce, or even a small part of the workforce, the liability can quickly balloon exponentially into a class action or a, a PAGA action. In fact, it's rare that a wage and hour class action in California doesn't include some form of non-compliant break component. Um, so now that we've terrified everyone, Lucas, um, why can't you tell us a little more about these rest breaks? Yeah, they're equally terrifying. So re rest breaks are a little bit different though. They are similar in that employees must be relieved of all duties and have full control of that time, here 10 minutes as opposed to 30. But the most fundamental way they differ from meal breaks other than the amount of time is that the rest break is paid. Employees do not actually clock out for them, they're on the clock. In addition, the amount of time worked before triggering a break requirement differs from meal breaks. With rest breaks, anytime an employee works at least four hours or what the law considers a major fraction thereof, they're entitled to a rest break. What does that actually mean? Basically, according to the courts, it works like this. If an employee works at least three and a half hours, uh, they're entitled to a rest break. Anything, a shift shorter than that, no rest break requirement. Three and a half hours is where the, where the time starts. And up to six hours, uh, it's still just one rest break. If you get to six hours, now they're entitled to a second 10 minute rest break and we go up in four hour increments from there. So six to 10 hours, two breaks. Once you get to 10 hours, they're entitled to three minute, three 10 minute rest breaks and so forth. Now, some other things about these, they cannot be used to begin or end a shift, nor can they be tacked on to the 30 minute meal break. Uh, meaning, you know, an employee, you can't tell an employee, why don't you just clock out 10 minutes early since you didn't take your break earlier in the day. 
that kind of thing won't work. Also, if they do work long enough to require two 10 minute rest breaks, that also means based on what Ryan just said that they've worked long enough to trigger a meal break. And what the courts have said is that the 10 minute rest breaks, they should, the two of them should fall on both sides of that meal break. They should, there should be one before and one after. Uh, also, the penalty for non-compliance is identical to what Ryan described with meal breaks. It's an extra hour of pay at the employee's regular rate of pay. So Ryan, with those rules in place, what else should employers consider about meal break compliance? Certainly, there's uh, some, I guess, good strategies employers can, can use here. Um, if an employee's shift is gonna be six hours or less, then the 30 minute meal period can be waived by mutual consent of the employer and the employee. Likewise, if employee shift is 12 hours or less, the second meal period may be waived by mutual consent, but only if the first meal break period was not waived. Um, and while these, these waivers don't need to be in writing, it's typically considered a best practice to put them in writing so that the mutual consent of the waiver is clearly memorialized and the employee won't be able to deny its existence later on um, from an evidentiary perspective. So Lucas, with that, what are some of the best practices for, for documenting breaks? Right, so meal breaks are the easier of the two because as we discussed, you clock in and out for them, they should be part of regular timekeeping records. So as long as you maintain the time records, you're gonna show, you're gonna have records ideally showing that the 30 minute meal breaks were taken. Um, alternatively, if they don't show that, that will be an indicator that something's awry with your meal break practice and you're gonna have to look into that. Rest breaks, a little bit different because there's no legal requirement for employers to maintain records of when rest breaks began and ended each shift. And I actually don't recommend that you do create those type of records where they actually clock in and out for them. Uh, Instead, employers should consider having a form that employees fill out uh, each time they end a shift or at, at worst at the end of a work week, attesting to the fact that they were given the opportunity to take fully compliant meal and rest breaks. Uh, and, and those forms that whether it could be an electronic or a hard copy paper form uh, where they're attesting to having the opportunity to take the breaks, if it should say either, they, they basically they could check an option, either they did take the break or if they did not, that they had the opportunity to do so, but voluntarily chose to work through the break, in which case you don't have a violation and have to pay that extra hour premium payment. Or a third and final option that they did not in fact have an opportunity to take a break. If they check that one, then you're gonna to wanna to pay that extra hour of premium pay. And then you're gonna to wanna to get to the bottom of what happened and why they didn't have the opportunity to take a break on that shift so that you can avoid the problem moving forward. So there are a lot more nuances to these meal and rest breaks that we can discuss if we have more time. But in the interest of keeping this short, that's Compliance 101. Great. Thanks so much, Lucas. And thank the rest of you for joining us in this episode of California Employment News. Viewers can find more episodes in the Weintraub uh, YouTube channel or on the lelawblog.com. And all, as always, feel free to like and subscribe so you can stay on top of ongoing legal developments. Thank you all. <laughs>